Hello and welcome to the Church Times podcast. I'm Ed Thornton. This week, Brexit tea parties. The Church in Wales announces its first HTB-supported resource church. And we hear from the editor Paul Hanley about the Trainer Priest Fund, which helps ordinands who face financial hardship. Our latest issue is out today. It includes extensive coverage of the reaction to the atrocity in Christchurch, New Zealand. There's also news of a project charting the experience of BAME Anglicans and news of the shortlist of the Michael Ramsey Prize for Contemporary Theological Writing. And in the faith section, we continue our series on parish initiatives with an article on Breathing Space, a ministry that offers rest and quiet in a church setting. There's also a back page interview with BBC Radio 3 presenter Elizabeth Alker. And Tim Wyatt travels to Malta and reports back on its fascinating mixture of pagan, Christian and Islamic history. Read all this and more by subscribing. Try five issues for £5. Go to churchtimes.co.uk slash subscribe. Churches across the country are being urged to hold tea and prayer drop-ins next weekend to encourage reconciliation over Brexit. Um, This was announced this week to coincide with the date on which the UK was due to leave the EU um, next Friday, which, I mean, in overnight has actually been delayed. Adam Beckett, as always, has been following the um, goings-on of Brexit in detail. Adam, first of all, um, we're just talking um, the morning after the European Council met. So what's the latest? So the European Council last night decided that uh, the 29th of March is no longer Brexit date. It will be the the 12th of April, should nothing else happen. Uh, Should a deal not be passed or another extension agreed, then we leave the EU uh, with or without a deal on the 12th of April. If uh, the Prime Minister's deal is passed, um, it's thought that it will come back to the House of Commons next week, then there'll be an extension until the 22nd of May in order that that can be um, ratified and put into place. Uh, There's a third option, of course, which is either a longer extension to allow for uh, some kind of indicative votes or a second referendum or a people's assembly or any of these whole host of ideas that people have been suggesting or a general election, of course or uh, revoking Article 50. Uh, and there's this petition, which I think has got more than 2 million signatures 2. now. 2.8 million, 2.8 million signatures. When when this podcast goes out, it will quite likely be above 3 million. The Prime Minister has already indicated that she's not really interested in it, uh, which is uh, a classic response. But I think the interesting thing about it is not that, that, that a petition or this petition will have any impact at all, but it really shows uh, the strength of force um, with which people object to the, the, the government's Brexit proposals. It, obviously, it's nowhere near the 17.4 million people that voted leave, but it is a significant number of people that are angry enough to sign a petition. And we know the Church of England, we know most of the bishops have been pro-Remain and have um, spoken um, and, and sort of criticised the approach that the government's taken and the Prime Minister. But um, this week, um, they've come up with an initiative to um, hold tea parties to um, encourage reconciliation. I mean, looking at the division in communities and saying a role the parish church can play is to sort of, I don't know, put the kettle on and take the steam out of Brexit. Absolutely. So obviously this is a message that the the Church of England and in particular the Archbishop of Canterbury has been parroting for quite a long time. Uh, This sense that the Church of England is there to, to bring together divided communities. Uh, there was a, a motion passed at Synod in February, uh, which said that we should be bringing our communities together, and that the, 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 the Synod thought that the, the way the political parties were dealing with Brexit was kind of insufficient to be tackling um, the, the, these these deep fissures in our society. Now they've 
come forward with concrete plans for how they're going to do this reconciliation, which will be, take place next weekend on the uh, the weekend that we were originally supposed to leave the EU with or without a deal. And the answer, uh, it appears, is tea parties. Um, uh, wh- whether whether that actually engages or has any effect at all, we- we'll have to wait and see. And there was some clergy tweeting that um, this was something a few only heard about, I think, in the media before it was actually communicated to them. And I think some of them said it's as rather short notice to be organising quite a major initiative. Absolutely. In in the run-up to Easter as well, uh, next Sunday is the, the, the fourth Sunday in Lent. There's a lot else going on. Some dioceses, for example, the Diocese of London has already sent out an ad clearum to, to all members of clergy saying, please do this, whereas other, other dioceses have, have been a bit slow to, to take this up. The Bishop of Chelmsford in a blog uh, that was uploaded this week uh, that isn't in our print copy but is online uh, referenced anyway says that, that that this is something important and kind of responds to the criticism that, that it was organised on the hoof mm, He says it's often said the British solution to a crisis is to put the kettle on there is wisdom here hospitality, fellowship and conversation build community and put things even the hardest things into a new perspective we see each other as people not as problems that's a, um, the Chelmsford Darsison website worth, worth reading that just for the um, other view. I, I quite enjoyed uh, the similarity between uh, the idea of uh, having a tea party to solve Brexit and this quote that I found from uh, the 70s war film A Bridge Too Far, um, which is uh, from the character Major General Urquhart. I've got lunatics laughing at me from the woods. My original plan has been scuppered now that the jeeps haven't arrived. My communications are completely broken down. Do you really believe any of that can be helped by a cup of tea? <laughs> uh, which perhaps one could see the uh, the church leaders approach in there. And I mean, Bishop Cottrell in his blog, he does say um, it could be tea or coffee or a beer in the pub, a glass of sherry in the vestry, conversations in your local school or community centre or on the park bench. So I, I guess the tea thing is a um, an example, but they're, they're saying basically do something that brings people together. I, I went to the Christians on the Left tawny lecture uh-huh. last week, uh, which had uh, Selena Stone, who's a, a tutor at St. Melitus College, and uh, Maurice Glassman, Lord Glassman, who's a Labour peer and, and also a prominent Brexiteer, it should be said. And it was uh, quite an interesting evening uh, to, to be exposed to opinions on both sides of the debate, uh, which isn't something that always happens, especially coming from the left. Um, but it, it, both people, both of them concluded that, that, that the way to go about reconciliation is, is starting within yourself. So just going and having a coffee, having a beer, having a chat with a family member, even that 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 voted a different way to you. Um, sitting down, having dinner, having a twenty-minute discussion about why you voted the way you did and and how to change things. And I, I think that's how the Church of England scheme, the, the Together scheme, can 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 help. Just just bringing these people together. So that initiative is called Together, and the resources are available at the Church of England website. There's flyers, posters, a prayer, um, everything you could possibly need for your tea meetings on the website. The Church in Wales is to get its first resource church supported by Holy Trinity Brompton in London. It will be launched next year, but it hasn't met with everyone's approval. Madeline, can you tell us more? Yeah, so we heard about this um, plan actually via an online petition, which was launched basically in opposition to the plan. Um, Members of the congregation um, would prefer um, not to have the resource church um, and to try and grow the congregation um, within their sort of existing tradition and through their existing outreach projects. Um, But the the current plan is to have a resource church launched next year um, with the support of Holy Trinity Brompton and 
really used that to um, increase the congregation, particularly um, drawing on the large student population in Cardiff. Um, so basically sort of several members of the congregation that I spoke to this week um, are quite unhappy about the plans, um, particularly feeling that they, they weren't consulted on. And this church is St Tylo Cathays in Cardiff. Yes. in the city centre and it's I mean the current setup is quite different to what you might find in a sort of HDB supported church plant. Yes so they um, described it as being sort of in the liberal Catholic um, tradition um, and something which most people stressed when I interviewed them um, is that it's an inclusive church um, and so for instance one of the people I spoke to had gone as a student and felt it had been the first church that he'd sort of been able to attend with his boyfriend and so several people stressed that it was a very welcoming place for members of the LGBT community so I think kind of anxiety about um, maintaining that as a really central part of um, their mission there. And in your story this week you quote this press release from the church in Wales saying it's seeking to attract young people who are currently outside the church eventually planting more church communities in the diocese. So this is in line with what's been happening in the Church of England all over the place, really, hasn't it, across dioceses? Yes, so um, they are able to um, access a Church in Wales evangelism fund, which had echoes for me of the Church of England strategic development grants, several of which have gone to support city centre resource churches, sometimes sort of multi-million projects, so um, a lot of money being spent on them, and several are um, supported or linked in some way to HDB. HDB now has um, the Church Revitalisation Trust, which is um, a registered charity chaired by the vicar, um, Nicky Gumbel, and they have set an ambition of um, 100 resource churches by 2028. I think currently they number about 35, although you do kind of get different messaging um, around what really sort of constitutes a plant. Um, Sometimes we've reported um, something as a plant, and then there have been queries about whether that's the right language, but HDB does list them as plants. And so what happened here? I mean, you said they, the congregation felt they weren't consulted. So was this be the, the bishop and, and the archdeacon or whatever would have liaised with HDB and invited yeah, so, them to come and um, plant yes. a congregation in this church? Yeah, so HDB always stresses that they only come at the invitation of the diocesan bishop. Um, I think um, what I was told that there was a meeting on Saturday where the archdeacon um, explained this plan to the congregation who felt I think that it had sort of come out of nowhere they weren't they hadn't sort of previously been consulted on the plan and that was when the petition was launched was it yes which I mean I Um, looked at it this morning it's got um, I mean it's pushing a thousand signatures have we seen this before this kind of organized you know social media driven um, opposition yeah. to plans? I haven't seen a petition um, before. I mean, I think what the diocese would argue is that the congregation is fairly small. Um, so I was told there are 75 members across the two churches um, in the benefice, um, one of which is St Tylo's. Um, and the bishop said, those who are mission orientated are engaged and supportive. Plans are also fully backed by the deanery and the university chaplaincy. Um, I spoke to the Anglican chaplain at Cardiff University, who himself um, worships in the liberal sort of Catholic tradition, but he feels that um, if there's a kind of um, a missing piece of the puzzle in Cardiff, um, it's a kind of open evangelical um, 
lively worship experience, um, as he put it. And so he feels sometimes evangelical students come to Cardiff, um, aren't able to find an Anglican church in that tradition and then go to sort of non-Anglican uh, sort of evangelical churches in the area. So he feels that actually if there's a missing piece, um, it's it's this one. And so he was sort of comparing it to other um, English cities where he feels that is provided for and saying this is an opportunity for Cardiff to have that as well. The churches are often launched um, around the time of Freshers' Week, so they do get a large um, intake of students. And I think um, sort of the message from the diocese was, you know, we do think that we could have a larger congregation than we do currently at the church, and we do think we could be reaching out to those um, students who want that experience. And, and there's another church that the existing congregation can go to, so it's not as if the whole... Yes, so Parish they mentioned St Michael and All Angels. I think sort of the people that I spoke to in the congregation were really stressing that um, there's a lot of community outreach. Um, and so perhaps it comes down to uh, maybe a difference of opinion about what constitutes mission. Um, is it large numbers worshipping on a Sunday um, or during the week? Or is it... Um, sort of lots of links out to the community or I'm sure they would both argue it's both um, but then the congregation really stressed that there's a, a really strong musical tradition so there's currently a choral service um, but also a lot of concerts with some very well regarded um, groups and orchestras perform at the church obviously we did a story last year about St Sepulchre's in, in Holborn um, and there was a bit of an outcry that um, the church was sort of closing its doors to a lot of commercial bookings from um, musical groups. It was sort of known as the Musicians' Church. So I think there's a bit of anxiety about losing um, losing that aspect of the church's sort of outreach currently. Have you sensed any surprise um, from the diocese at, at the opposition? When I did a feature on HDB church planting a couple of years ago, one of the things um, which HDB said to me was that they'd learned that to expect opposition. Um, so I think the question this raises is, is if they're going to be 100 city centre resource churches by 2028, um, how does it navigate that? That I mean, presumably some of those churches have an existing congregation. They may react as St Tylo's has, which is with quite a lot of concern and consternation um, and possibly a sort of a disagreement about whether a change is needed and, and what constitutes mission, as I said. So I think it's potentially sort of a story that we'll be revisiting and something I guess for um, diocese and for HDB to think about is how do we navigate those quite tricky waters um, if we continue to roll out this model. And in whatever one's view of, of these resource churches and church plants it does seem to be gaining momentum I mean they're, they're springing up. Yeah, I mean, that's numbers. definitely the message from the Church Revitalisation Trust. I mean, the programme for um, training people to lead these churches is um, called Accelerate. I think another question is how many of these plants are going to be led by women? Um, currently, very few. Um, one of the things I'm trying to find out is whether the, this training programme for planting curates um, currently has any, any women training. Mm, watch this space. Paul, can you tell us what the TAP Fund is? Sure. Um, um, the Church Times is is uh, very modest in its demands on its readers because uh, we know that a lot of charities use our pages to to promote their own appeals and so we don't like to compete with them, uh, except really in this one instance. Many decades ago, in 1952, a Church Times editor uh, was alerted to the fact that ordinands with families were struggling um, on the same uh, grant that single young men were given in those days and um, and there was genuine hardship 
And so the TAP fund, the Trainer Priest Fund, was begun. And every year since then, we've had a Lent appeal, which, which has raised more than four and a half million uh, over the years for, uh, for ordinance, people in training for the priesthood. And it's changed over the years in different ways. But one thing that's, that's been consistent is that ordinance continue to struggle financially. Um, there's a huge sacrifice that many people make to give up careers, move house, to um, devote um, days on study that they, they're not earning uh, in. And so we have been warmed by both the way that this need is met and, and the generosity of our readers from, from year to year. The problems now are different, life is different, but nonetheless, when um, people are just on the edge, I mean, the, the church is, is as generous as it can be with its ordinance, they're, they're, but when something seriously goes wrong, like a car breaks down or a child is ill or, or, or a partner can't work for a reason, um, or, or all sorts of unexpected and, and troubling expenses can come up, they can uh, look around for diocesan help or something, but the point about the TAP Fund is it, it can be instant. All they need do is uh, phone the Ministry Division um, and they can get a payment from the TAP Fund almost instantly. We have, we've done well in the past from legacies. People leave money to TAP in their wills, but the actual um, donations to TAP have been uh, dropping in recent years. Um, it's hard to know why, really. I, th- I think the the need is still there, but of course the competition for charitable funds uh, is intense, and the economy is is not as secure as um, it has been in the past. So the fund has suffered a little bit, um, but it still raises thousands and meets uh, a hugely important need. And the donations in their entirety go to ordinance, don't they? Um, yeah, I've got colleagues who spend a, a lot of time. Uh, accepting the donations and, and banking them and sorting them out and so on. But um, we don't take a penny off the um, the donations to cover that, um, and nor does the ministry division. We send all the money across to to uh, their staff. So every penny that, that people donate will eventually find its way to uh, an ordinand in need. Mm. We've got information about how to give on page six of this week's ne- newspaper. Giving online is the easiest and I think the best way. And then you go to churchtimes.co.uk, train hyphen a hyphen priest hyphen fund, or just <laughs> yeah. Google Church Times train a priest fund. Yeah, the, the tap fund will get you there as well. Um, so, uh, yeah, can I recommend the giving online because that is so quick and easy and, and, and makes life a lot easier at, the, at our end. And we've had stories in the paper before from Ordinands about um, how much of a difference it's made um, during very difficult sure. circumstances. Sure, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it is moving to hear how close people are to them on um, to disaster um, and and we've we know of people who've been able to carry on their course because of of this financial help thank you for listening to this week's episode of the church times podcast you can find more news analysis comment and book reviews on our website churchtimes.co.uk if you are not yet a subscriber to the church times you can try your first 10 issues for just 10 pounds You'll get the paper delivered to your door every Friday, plus full access to our website and digital archive. Go to churchtimes.co.uk forward slash subscribe to find out more. The music for this podcast was provided by Sought After Sounds. Tune in next Friday for the next episode.